So let me catch you up to where we are. We are in week three of a series called The Ten Habits. So if you've got kind of a worship guide to, to, to follow along with, grab that. You can take some notes on the back. If you've got a phone, you can always go to the Uversion app and go to um, look down there at the bottom. It says more. If you click on that, it has more in a few little lines. And go to events. You can search for Cane Bay, and our notes and other stuff is always there at Church at Cane Bay. We're on the Uversion app, so you can always follow along. It's a great way to follow along there. And, of course, it'll be on the screens as well. But here's why I'm telling you all that. I need you to, to take notes or be on your phone and be engaged because at the end of the time together this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something with it. So if you've got a pen right in front of you, there should be pens. You can take some notes or follow along on your phone because you're going you're gonna to need to do that when we get to the end. So we're in this 10 Habits series, and what we've been talking about is really they are just healthy habits, spiritual disciplines um, of how we can grow healthier in our relationship with God. So they're habits we build in our lives daily so that we can pursue God, know God, and live for Him daily. So it's healthy ways to do that. And so we're really just helping us live, develop some habits to help us live the lives that God has called us to live. And so... Today we're talking about the habit, the healthy habit of prayer. So when I think of prayer, when I think of praying, I think when most people think of prayer, they they have images come into their mind, right? Things like this, things like bedtime prayers, like now I lay me down to sleep. See, you guys know this. Mealtime prayers like thank you for the food we eat. I mean... You could figure that one out anyway. But anyway, here's the deal. We, my kids, I remember when they would come home from preschool and they would learn all these prayers that we would pray before our meal times. And it was cute and it was fun and it was cool because they were learning how to, how to pray, but it was more recitation. It was more reciting and, and learning. But, it, but it's cool. It was a place to start. Sometimes when we think of prayer, we think of a pastor or somebody or worship leader praying in front of everybody on stage and Sometimes it sounds more like a sermon or something than a prayer. Sometimes that's our idea of prayer. Or crisis prayers where people cry out to God, help me. Or when you watch the, the news or you hear political leaders and, and when there's a crisis or somebody dies or we're going through something and you hear them say, our prayers are with you. And you wonder if they really mean it or not, but it's a really nice thing to say. Like when we think of prayer, there's a lot of ways we think of prayer, but I'm really not going to talk about prayer in any of those ways this morning. And those are all legitimate and and good things, but this morning I want to talk about prayer in a much more intimate way, a conversational way that sometimes we don't enter into. And so I'm going to talk about that. You know, in World War II, a, a phrase popped up in World War II that said basically there are no atheists in foxholes. And it's this idea that When we're going through crisis or we're facing a struggle or an obstacle, I think universally there's something within us that cries out to God for help. That cries out and says, God, I may not have talked to you much before now. I may not even know what to say to you. And sometimes I don't even know if you're real, but right now I need to talk to you because I'm facing something that's bigger than me. I think in in the heart of everyone, there's this idea 
of talking to God, the one who created us. You, you know, when I was about eight years old, um, I had a friend named Watson Barbary. And um, for some reason, I don't remember all of it, but every Wednesday night at our church, we had um, fellowship dinner. We would all go to the church and we would eat um, food together. And then there was like a service after it. I don't remember. I think I went to Mission Friends or RAs or something like that, Some something growing up. But I remember as an eight-year-old, we used to sit across the table from Watson Barbary's family every Wednesday night and eat dinner with them. And my parents knew them and Watson and I were friends. And so... We hung out a lot together, and and one Wednesday night, they weren't there, and I asked my parents, where are they? And my parents looked down and said to me, Watson's dad is really sick. Now, I didn't know what that meant, like, but later on that evening, my parents told me that Watson's dad had been diagnosed with cancer, and that meant he was really sick, and he might not live. And so that night, for the first time ever as a child, Prayer became more than just like a something you say before dinner, something you say before bed. Like that night, I remember like it was yesterday, kneeling down in my room with the lights off and nobody was there and tears were running down my face. And I begged God, God, please don't let Watson's dad die. Like, please don't let him die, God. Could you just heal him? It was a desperate prayer from an eight-year-old. And I want you to know that that next Wednesday night at church, we went in to eat dinner and we sat down at the table and right across from me, from me was Watson's family and Watson's dad sitting right there. And I sat down with my eyes just open big and I, I just thought in my head, God answered my prayer. Like Watson's dad is here. And I can tell with you this morning that I believe that God did answer my prayer. But now here's the hard part. A few weeks later, Watson's dad died. And I was left as an eight-year-old knowing that God answered my prayer and healed him and brought him back to, to show me that God is powerful and big and can do anything we ask for. But then I was left with this idea that, but wait a minute, if God answered my prayer, why did God still let him die anyway? Like why just a few weeks later did did God not seem to answer my prayer? I mean, I was left to struggle with something we all struggle with, right? Is does God answer prayer? I mean, listen, if God knows what we need already, then why does he need us to ask him, right? Isn't that a good question? Like if God already has a plan for our lives and he knows what's best, then, then why would God listen to me? And why do I even need to pray about it to begin with? All of those things I was struggling with as an eight-year-old child. And so here's the first thing I want us to deal with this morning because it's the question in the room. It's the question we have to answer. What's the point of the whole thing? I mean, why do we pray to begin with? If God knows what we need and He has a plan, what is the purpose of prayer? Why should I pray? Why should I pray? All right, I want to read you a verse that's often read. And I'm just, it's just one little verse. If you want more, you can, we're going to actually, one of the reasons I want you to follow along this morning is we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures. So we're going to move around quite a bit. But this little verse in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22 says this. It says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 
Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because it sounds as if it says, if you ask God with enough faith, He'll give you whatever you ask for. Now parents, raise your hand if you're a parent of kids. Would you ever say to your kid, if you ask me for anything, and you ask me with enough passion, believing you're going to get it, I'll give you whatever you ask for. No, you would never say that. If you do, you are not a very good parent. So is that what this is? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Like you ask me, and you ask me enough times, and you ask believing you can get it. If you ask me for a Tesla, like you ask me with believing it's going to be in your driveway tomorrow, then you've asked me with enough faith, then God's going to park a Tesla in your driveway. I'm not so sure about that. So if that's not what it means, what does it mean? You see, this verse sometimes gets misunderstood. What it's saying is that this, is that prayer, prayer, when we pray in faith, asking God to do, we can believe that God will answer that, that God responds to our faith. He does, I believe it. But here's, here's the thing about faith. Th- think about this with me for just a minute. It's not faith in the result or the outcome. It's not faith in Tesla and that I know I need it and so God should give it to me. It's faith in the one who knows whether I need a Tesla or not. Does, it, does that make sense? It's, you see, faith in knowing that I know what the answer should be is faith in me. Does that make sense? Faith in the outcome or the result is saying to God, I have enough faith that I know what the answer should be. Praying with faith in this context means that I trust the one I'm asking. Some some of you may have heard people say prayer works or prayer changes things. I want to turn that on its head for a minute this morning because prayer doesn't work. And prayer doesn't change things. God does. God works and God changes things. And the object of our faith when we pray is in the one we're asking, not in what we're asking for. Does that make sense? So the first reason that I want to tell you that we pray is this. It's that prayer communicates, extends, expresses our faith. All right, this is important. Prayer is a way we express our faith in God. It, in fact, it, it mobilizes our faith. It, 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 it's a way to exercise our faith when we say, God, listen, here's what I want. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need. Here's what I'm asking. God, and I know you hear me. God, I'm asking you to do something That takes faith, faith that we know God can do something and we know God knows better than we are and that God's in control of it all and God has the power to change and do anything. When we pray to Him, we are expressing, God, I trust You and I need You. So listen, if our faith is in God and not in the outcome, then perhaps when we pray, it's not a cop-out. For us to say, God, I want you to intervene in this situation. God, right now, here's what my heart desires and wants. But I also ask you in the midst of this 
to help me see clearly and help me trust you regardless of the answer you provide. That's a faithful prayer. That's a a prayer full of faith. Here's what I need you to know, and the Bible's real clear about this. If you pray and you ask God for anything, He will always answer you. Okay? I, I need you to know that. The Bible's clear about this. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate, that God doesn't ignore your request ever. He hears everything you say, and He always answers. But here's the thing. Just like a good father, a good mother, you might not get the answer that you think you need. You will get an answer, right? And sometimes the answer might even be a no. Sometimes the answer to my kids is I'm not even going to tell you right now. Sometimes the answer is we'll talk about it later. But guess what? I hear what you say. And if I do, then I know our Heavenly Father always hears you. Always answers. Sometimes you may not like the answer, but He always answers. You see, when God answers us, here's what I need you to get. Sometimes God does change our circumstances to prove that He's powerful and He's good and He hurt us and He's big and He can change anything and He can do anything. Sometimes God does change the circumstances because He hurt in faith and He does. But here's what I want you to get. More often... God changes us in the midst of our circumstances, right? Are you with me? Sometimes God changes our circumstances. and Sometimes God changes us. I want to read for you a scripture from one of my favorite books in the Bible, Philippians chapter 4. Some of you are familiar with this scripture about prayer, and it says this in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. By the way, which is, I think, your memory verse for this week in the Ten Habits Guide, so... Pay attention and start remembering it now if you've got a 10 habits guide and you're going through it. This is Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now listen. There's a lot we could talk about in that verse right there. Don't be anxious for anything. Like that seems like a big statement right there, right? How many of you struggle with worry? Like you worry about stuff. Like raise your hand for your spouse if they do. I'm just kidding. Don't don't do that. Don't do. It. So, so, so here's the thing. Paul is is writing here to the Christians in in Philippi, and he says. Don't be anxious for anything. Instead, there's something better than worry because worry really doesn't accomplish anything, does it? I mean, I know that and I still do it. But what God is saying is that worry is almost a reminder to stop worrying and start praying instead. That's what this verse says. And then it tells us how to pray. It says, with supplication, I mean asking, God, supply my needs. With thanksgiving, God, thank you for what you've done and will do. But let your request be made known to God. But here's the part I want you to pick up on. It's verse 7. It says, what is the result of prayer? What is the result when we stop worrying and we give it to God and we say, God, would you be over this? Would you control this? God, I'm trusting you with it. Look what the result is. It's that His peace, the peace of God, which you can't even understand or grasp, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's as if the peace of God, when I stop and I pray and I say, God, I trust you, I need you, it's as if God takes his peace and covers all of my emotion and my thoughts. I believe, I believe this, that when you and I stop and pray, I believe God can even change the way we think and feel about the circumstances that we're in. I believe that. That's how I know that some oftentimes when I pray, I'm the one who needs to be changed. I'm the one who needs to have my eyes lifted and perspective lifted. I need to see how God's really working and how God will use this in my life and in other people's lives. Prayer communicates our faith, but prayer also changes us. That's the second thing we've been talking about. That prayer, prayer communicates my faith. Prayer changes me. And then I, I want you to look at this verse. In 1 John chapter 5, it says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Now here's another verse, right, about asking and, and promising that He hears and that He will give you good things. He'll give you what you request. But do you notice, notice what it says in there, the little phrase in, in verse 14, the little phrase that says, if we ask anything according to His will. Did you see that? This is yes. You saw it? If we ask anything according to His will. In other words, what that's saying is, if when we pray that our request lines up with God's design and desire for our life, then God wants to give it to us like a good father. Isn't it? When, you're, when your child, listen, dads and moms, when they ask you for something and it's good for them, like it's, and, and what they ask for, you're like, yes, like, you ask for so many things that aren't good for you. Like, I'm so glad that you're asking me for that. I'm going to give it to you so fast your head's going to spin. Like, aren't, as you as a parent, don't you want your kids to ask for things that are good for them? Like, instead of, can I have more candy? Could you give me more broccoli? And you just go, well, yeah. Sorry, I mean, that might be silly, a silly example. But we want our kids to want things that are good for them, right? And when they do, we want to shower them with it. Like every good father, the Bible says, our Heavenly Father wants to give us good things when our heart begins to line up with His heart and we begin to see things from His perspective. God wants to give us that. In fact, this leads me to the third purpose of prayer, which is this. is prayer really connects us with God. And, and here's, here's what I mean. By that, I want you to look at this verse, Romans chapter eight. Which, if you again, if you're going through the Ten Habits Guide, you may have gone through Romans chapter eight last week. If you don't have a Ten Habits Guide yet, pick it up on your way out there, on the table out there. We've been we gave you this to kind of walk through this series with us. But Romans eight fifteen says this: For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, look at this, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, now, listen to me for just a second. 
The reason I'm reading this verse is while every person on the planet, I believe it sometimes has the desire to cry out to God, maybe in crisis or in moments, when you give your life to Jesus, Paul says, when you trust your life to Jesus Christ and become a Christian, become a follower of Christ, all of a sudden you are adopted into God's family as His very own children. And prayer becomes not just a way to to cry out in crisis anymore, but it becomes a communication tool. It becomes a conversation with your dad. What Paul is saying here is this, is that when we receive adoption into God's family, we now can cry out to God and we know His name. We know who He is. He's not just some distant person that we say, if you're out there, would you help me? Now we cry out and say, Daddy, I'm your child. You see, here's what I need you to know. Jesus, when He prayed on many occasions, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you look at how Jesus prayed, or when He taught His disciples how to pray, He began His prayer with this word, Abba. And this word had never really been used to talk about God or to God before. It's a revolutionary thing for Jesus to be calling God, Dad, like Daddy. But what Jesus is doing in that moment is He's showing you something. He's showing us something about what prayer is. That it's a conversation with the Father that made you and knows you and wants to be with you. When I was in FCA at College of Charleston years ago, there was this girl that became a Christian um, during FCA. She didn't grow up in church, didn't know hardly anything about the Bible, but she knew she needed... She, she discovered that she needed Jesus and she gave her life to Jesus. And one night, shortly after that, we were in a little small group Bible study and somebody asked her if she wanted to pray. And I, I thought, well, she's a, a new Christian. She's probably not going to want to pray out loud. And she said, yeah, I'll pray. And we all like closed our eyes and bowed our heads and it was just like four or five of us. And she started praying. And when she started praying... We all like opened our eyes and looked up because it didn't sound like a church prayer I'd ever heard. Like it wasn't the kind of prayers we pray up here. Like it sounded like she had picked up her phone and she was talking to her dad. You ever heard anybody pray like that? Like she was just like, and you know what, God, I just, I was thinking about this and I just wanted to tell you that. And I mean, she was just, and we were all just kind of looking at her like, who's she talking to? She was talking to her dad. She discovered something that I didn't discover growing up in church, is that when you pray, it's not about for anybody else. It's not a sermon. It's not a speech. It's a conversation with your father. I think sometimes we miss the point of prayer. You see, Oswald Chambers says this, that prayer is primar- is not primarily a way to get things from God, but so that we might get to know God. God is your dad and you're his child. And it's not about the words or the place or the topic or the answers. It's a conversation with him so you can know him. I recall a time when I went to a party without my parents' permission um, and later my dad found out that I had gone. 
and let's just say it didn't go well for me. Are you, are you listening? Like, have you been in that place before? Um, so <clears throat> it didn't go well for me. And my dad said something like this to me. He said, I just wished you had asked me about it. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Why, I, why would I have asked you to go to the party? I even looked at my dad and I said, because I knew you would say no. And my dad looked at me and he said, yes, I would have said no. But I still wish you had asked. And then he looked at me and like, this is the part where the guilt's getting ready to be laid on, right? He said, I'm your dad. And I want to know what's going on with you. And I just want you to talk to me. Now, I was a typical teenager going through typical teenage years, but what was my dad saying? It's not really about the party and that you went. It's that I'm your dad and I want to know what's going on. I want to hear your heart and I want to know you and I want you to know me. I think God feels the same way about us. I think one of the primary reasons for prayer is just to get your heart in tune with your dad's heart. He longs to hear your voice. He wants you to share your heart with him. He, he wants to share in your sadness and your joy and your excitement and your fear and your pain because he's your father. So here's the question. If prayer is the way I communicate my faith that I trust in God, if prayer is, is a way that God changes me and my perspective and lifts my eyes, if prayer is really about a conversation with my dad, then, then what do I say? Like, then how do I pray? If that's what prayer is about and it's not about a speech or just about asking for a bunch of things, well, like, how should I pray? So that's a really good question because Jesus' disciples, you know, Jesus never, like, he often says in the Bible he would slip away to pray. And it's interesting because he never tells his disciples, you should be doing this too. You need to go do it. He waits until they come to him one day and they ask him, like, can you teach us how to do that? Like, what are you saying when you pray? John taught his disciples to pray. They said, so Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Like, what should we say? If you look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And so in verse 2, Jesus does teach his disciples how to pray. Now we know this as the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew and in Luke. And we know it, and Luke is probably the less familiar version. That's the one we're going to read this morning. It's the shorter version. In Matthew, it's a little bit longer version. It's very similar language. But I want you to look at what Jesus teaches them. Look at verse 2. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, and he said to them, When you pray, say. Now stop right there for just a second and look at me. We call it the Lord's Prayer and it's often recited. But when Jesus says to them, When you pray, I want you to say this. Jesus really isn't intending them to recite a poem. Like what Jesus is about to do is he's teaching them about what prayer is like and how you pray principally. I'm sure Jesus didn't mean the only thing you ever say when you pray is the Lord's Prayer. 
Like it's a model, it's an example, but it, and it's okay to recite it. It's, it's kind of cool sometimes. But, but listen, when Jesus says this, I think he's saying, when you pray, pray like this. These are the kinds of things you want to say when you pray. And look at the first thing he says. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, let me talk about that for just a second. Because notice the word Father there that Jesus prays is that word Abba. Okay? So Jesus is saying Dad. Father sounds kind of formal. But what you need to know is if you get under the language, Jesus is saying, using a word that's much more informal. He's saying Dad. Which, again, emphasizes the point that prayer is about a conversation with your Dad, your Heavenly Father. But then look at the very next thing Jesus says. He says... Hallowed be your name. Now the word, the word hallowed there means holy or revered or respected or great. In other words, get, get this. Get this with me for just a second. Jesus is addressing God as daddy. And then he's saying, dad, your name is so great I can't even speak it. Are you with me? He's addressing him informally and formally at the same time. He's saying, Dad, you're my dad, but you're also the king of the universe. In one line, he's saying, Father, your name is great and holy and big and powerful and first in my life. I believe our prayers should start off acknowledging that God is not only your dad and hears every word you say, but he's also the king of everything. And His name is greater than your name will ever be. And His name is first in your life. I believe I want my prayers to start off by acknowledging God's power and God's place in my life. I think that's what Jesus is showing us. Let's acknowledge who we're talking to when we pray. But next, look what Jesus asked for. The very next line, Jesus says, Your kingdom come. Now, over in Matthew, he, add, it, it, he adds more. It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that mean? What is Jesus saying here, your kingdom come? I think this, listen, I think when Jesus says this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, I think Jesus is saying, God, I want your purpose and your plans to be accomplished in my life and in my world. I think when we acknowledge who God is, who we're talking to, the very first thing Jesus asked is, may your will, may, may your will be done. May your kingdom come. Not my kingdom. Not just my desires. But God, yours. We ask for God's purposes and plans to be accomplished. Now here's the interesting thing. Think with me for just a second. Now we know that God, God's plans are going to be accomplished, right? We know that. If we trust that God is big and He's God, He's going to accomplish His plans. But here's the deal. When we pray that His kingdom comes in my life, what we're saying is that, God, I want to be involved in that. I want to be useful to You. I don't want to be opposed to Your plans or unaffected by Your plans. God, may Your plans happen in my life and in my world. Look at the very next thing. He says, give us each day our daily bread. If you're on keto, it's your daily bacon. Sorry, just had to throw that in. Um, he says... Give us each day our daily bread. In other words, God, 
Supply my needs. Now, is God going to supply your needs? Matthew 6 says God will give you everything you need, right? So why do you have to ask for it? Because one, it's recognizing that He does give you everything. And it's recognizing that you can trust Him and give you everything. And that it's reminding yourself that God is the source of everything you need. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. The fourth thing Jesus does is He asks God for His forgiveness. Now here's the interesting thing. We know that God has promised to forgive us completely when we give our lives to Jesus, right? That we're forgiven forever. So why do you have to ask God for forgiveness? Here's the interesting thing. There's this principle of Scripture when we confess our sins to God, it's admitting that we're sinful and that God is gracious and merciful to forgive us. There's something healing that happens every time we look at God and we say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, you're right, thank you for forgiving me. Ask for God's forgiveness and then look at the last thing Jesus says here. He says, and lead us not into temptation. He's asking God, would God, he's asking God to guard our hearts and minds. Now, here's a question for you too. Is God going to ever lead you into temptation? The Bible says God does not tempt any person. He's not going to lead you into temptation. So why do we ask him to lead us not to temptation? Basically, we're saying, God, I'm tempted every day. God, I desire things that are second class. I desire things that aren't good for me. God, would you give me the power and strength and wisdom I need to avoid those temptations. Would you guard my heart and my mind? When I was in 10th grade, I was at school in, at a school in Durham, North Carolina, and my family had just moved there at Christmas time, and I was scared to death. I don't know why, but as a 10th grader, it was just a tough time in my life. I was starting a new school in the middle of the year, and I didn't know a soul. Never lived there before. I didn't want to move. And I remember sitting in class and I wouldn't let the tears run out of my eyes, but they were running down inside. And I just, it was as if I was saying, I don't have anybody to talk to. And it was as if I heard my heavenly father whisper to me, you can talk to me. At that point in my life, prayer had always been something I'd said before meals. Or something I said at bedtime. It never really been a conversation. But that day in 10th grade in Durham, North Carolina, I walked down the hall not knowing anybody and people everywhere. And inside, I was having a conversation with my dad. And I was learning how to pray. To pray continually. I got closer to God than I've ever been before. Why did God allow me to be in a circumstance that was difficult, lonely, without friends? Maybe it's because I needed to get to know Him better, and I did. And I learned how to talk to God every day. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something. Instead of me standing up here, reciting a prayer to close this service, I'm going to ask you to do something pray like Jesus taught us to pray, to acknowledge God's power and presence in our life, to say, God, may your kingdom come in my life and in my world. 
God, will you give me everything that I need and, and help me to trust you in that? God, would you just forgive me for the places that I fall short and help me recognize how gracious you are? And God, today, would you help me not sin? Would you help me desire the things you desire for me? I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to bow your head and close your eyes and just talk to your dad. He wants to hear from you. You can come down front and kneel if you want. You can kneel at your chair. You can take any posture you want. Just talk to him. And then I'm going to ask you to do this and then I'm going to stop talking, okay? When you're done praying, would you get up and would you walk to one of the tables down front and take a little cup of juice and a piece of bread and remember that Jesus died so that you could have access to your Father. So you could be His child and talk to Him forever. So when you're done praying, would you just on your own time go and take communion and remember what Jesus did for you. Let's pray.